good morning. We are in Matthew chapter 5 as we have been uh, last three months or so as we're in this series, The Upside Down Life. This morning, we're going to be hearing about Jesus speaking words about anger. And I know when you hear the sermon topic, you probably do something like I do, like immediately, okay, sermon topic about anger, you start filtering through like, oh boy, um, how much do I have to listen? How much does my kid or spouse have to listen? But we enjoy what Jesus says in this, this sermon he gives in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, ultimately a sermon about living the free life in the kingdom of God. Read this about someone's experience um, this last week. There was a man who went with his wife to go to her new boss. So his wife had a new boss and just recently hired onto the company. And they, as a couple, went to her house, she was a single woman, to um, have dinner. And in this well-to-do apartment, the wife talked to the husband before this happened and said to her, uh, please be careful, be on your P's and Q's, be socially responsible in this situation. This man wrote of his experience, he said, in response to her, saying, I scoffed and arrogantly informed my wife that I always make good impressions. My wife's boss, a single lady in her 50s, and it was just the three of us, so we chit-chatted over drinks and salad and seemed to be really hitting it off. She laughed at my well-timed, perfectly appropriate jokes, and my wife seemed pleased. Evening is going well. But soon what happened is the woman who was serving the meal brought out the steak, said it was a nice, big, juicy steak, and she had cooked it for each of them. As I began to cut into my steak, I was discouraged to discover how undercooked this steak was. I probably could have resuscitated the cow had I tried. (laughs) Instead, I sat there fidgeting with my knife and fork, worrying about how I was going going to get away with not eating this steak. How many are a little uncomfortable already? Yeah, starting to feel like, where is this going? Just then, our hostess excused herself to the kitchen to take care of some dessert preparations. As I looked across the fancy dining room table at the open window of this fancy third-story apartment, a cartoon light bulb appeared over my head. He writes, I knew I had to be decisive, realizing that she could return at any moment. I committed. I grabbed the steak with my hand, gently shook off the juice, and executed a perfect throw right through the center of the open window. Here was my big mistake. He writes, the window wasn't open. It was the cleanest window you've ever seen in your life. That is until my raw slab of steak slammed up against it and slowly slid down, leaving a trail of bloody juice in its wake. My wife, whose steak was a nice, medium rare, was unaware of my predicament, turned, jaw dropped. This look then slowly morphed into more of a, there is no place on this planet you can ever hide from me expression of demonic anger. My wife's boss heard the thud of the steak on window impact and came quickly. She took in the scene, the steak sitting on the windowsill, the blood trail, 
my empty plate and gave me a puzzled look. Both women continued to stare at me as I smeared the blood around the window with my cloth napkin, dusted off the snake, and continued to mutter an incoherent explanation. He writes, I knew what I had to do. I sheepishly returned to my seat, proceeded to eat every bite of that disgusting, cold, chewy, bloody, raw steak. I remained pretty quiet for the rest of the evening, and any person that knows what smoldering anger is can identify with this. My wife's only two words to me since the incident are, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Anger is not something that operates in the prettiness of life. It's not something that we can just sit and talk about when we're um, put together, thought through, centered Anger doesn't happen that way. Anger happens in messy, uncomfortable, unpredictable situations. And we have here the radical teaching of Jesus about anger. And it is, as we have said, the upside down way. It is a counter, or it is an alter cultural way of understanding this very common experience that we have about anger. In Matthew chapter 5, we looked at the Beatitudes talking about the values of the kingdom of God. And we are now in the section talking about the practical living, how this benevolent reign of Jesus looks, what it looks like in our everyday life. This phrase that will come up in Matthew 5 is, but I say unto you. Jesus talks about an old way of understanding how to live, but he says, but I say unto you. And he talks about the principle of what life now looks like in the new covenant kingdom of God. So, but I understand you and he will say it about these different situations. He will say it about anger in our passage today. He'll say it about lust. He'll say it about divorce. He'll say it about words or language. Then he'll say it about conflict and then about enemies. Again, a natural understanding, but I say unto you, and Jesus will give these words. Read with me if you would as I or follow along as I read in Matthew chapter 5 these words of Christ about anger starting in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old <clears throat> you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but I say unto you Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother is something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. While you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Lord, we come to your word this morning. We come to your teaching. We come to words that uh, can easily create concern for us. As we recognize the anger that lives often in our outside experience and often recognize the anger that lives in our inside experience. 
We pray that we might not dismiss your teaching as some radical, too idealistic, but that we might accept this as the new and living way that you, Jesus, work. And you work such that our anger even can be transformed. Thank you for your kindness. As I'm reminded of my own anger this week, I'm reminded, remember my need of a Savior. Thank you. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at anger, I want to talk simply of what is anger, right? You can call anger a lot of different things. There's a lot of different aspects of what you might say. This is a part of anger. This is a part of anger. The way I, I want to define anger for us this morning is simply anger is destructive energy, not just saying anger is an action, not just saying it's an inward reality, but destructive energy. Now, anger is a power emotion, right? Um, sadness, fear, these are more vulnerable spaces. And when we feel things negative, insecurity, sadness, fear, vulnerable emotions, we quickly often cover those with what feels more powerful. And one of the, the common emotions that once we experience something negative, we want to not sit in that vulnerability, but rise up against it and try to destroy whatever is causing it. Anger, when we feel hurt, insecure, afraid, we run to what that makes us feel strong. Anger gives us energy. What kind of energy? Anger gives energy to destroy Think of even actions, even healthy actions of what to do with anger, right? You don't tell your kid to go build a sandcastle. It's punch a pillow, right? There's a sense of, of when you have this, it is anger that feels like destruction. There's two pictures given by Jesus in the text. Verse 22, Jesus likens anger to murder, he goes the whole way, right? You, Jesus knows that in the code written in our hearts, in the code written in his scripture, in the code reflected in most places and most societies around the world is anger is not, or murder is not a good thing. And so he goes and likens this anger to the destructive force to murder. Now, we know that uh, uh, there are times when Jesus himself was angry. And, and I, we're going to talk about Jesus in the temple. But I want to be careful here. Because I think a lot of times when we feel anger, we rush to Jesus in the temple. Right? And we're like, well, I can be mad at this situation, this national thing, this, this local thing, this thing in my business, this thing with my kids. Why? Because it's a righteous anger. The longer I live, the more I really believe the, that this is a righteous anger is most often used as a covering for I'm just scared or I'm self-protecting something good. And so I have a right to anger, and, but we will talk about it. So in the passage of Jesus in the temple, there is the muscle of anger being used. 
and it is the muscle of destruction. Jesus enters the temple in Matthew chapter 21, and he destroys a system that was violating the sacredness of God, right? It's right there in the temple. They're turning into a marketplace. They're exploiting poor people who are trying to pay for sacrifices, and he walks in and says, this I want no part of, and he uses destructive energy to accomplish something good. Uh, Wes Stafford is a man who uh, started Compassion International, an incredible, gentle, holy man who started this incredible organization. He traces back the seeds of Compassion International. Many of you are supporting Compassion International children. He chases the, the seed back to that to a moment when he as a child was experiencing deep deep abuse at the hands of other people. And there was a moment when he was very young in the 1960s, which he calls a moment of anger, where he stood up for his own dignity. And that moment was the seed of what would become an incredibly compassionate, good uh, organization to defend and look out for exploited children. Anger can be used for good. Sometimes things need to be destroyed. I don't want my sons to say, I've never seen my dad angry. Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Does not say your anger is necessarily sin, but in your anger, do not sin. But for me, most of the things that I am willing to spend my anger energy on are the things that are selfish. Most of the time when my anger is mobilized and goes unchecked, I do sin. And this force is like a fire, can accomplish good, but has such power to destroy here is the first question. If you're doing your notes, I want you to write down. In our anger, the first question is, what am I seeking to destroy? And you're like, wow, destroy, that's kind of extreme, right? Well, well let's talk about the classic, right? We're, we're Jersey folk, so let's talk about road rage. Um, <laughs> nearly 80% of people in the last year or so, according to a study done in 2006 or at that time, um, have experienced some type of road rage within the last year. Not you all, but some people, right? That's the benefit of studies. I actually don't, like road rage is a little comical to me. Like, I just feel like I don't want to get that upset about someone not using a blinker. But so I've told my wife, like, I don't really think I have road rage. I think I'm in the 20%. And she has very kindly said, babe, it's true. You don't have road rage, but you cause so much. <laughs> so I'm sorry, you 80 percenters, it's my fault, okay? So, and I tell her, it's only when you're in the car. I'm really a good driver when you're not here. But, but in road rage, right, it's, it's a little, there is a little part where it's funny. It's like, what is that person trying to accomplish, right? It's most of the time, they're not ripping out a baseball bat and going to the hood of your car. Most of the time, it's a honk. It's a universal signal of disapproval. It's, it's some type of like, uh, or some screaming in the car or some yelling or even speeding up next to you and giving the glare. What's the hope, right? Like, how is that supposed to alter someone? one's 
life. What is the desire, if I'm experiencing road rage, what do I desire for the other person? (laughs) Or maybe what do you desire for me? (laughs) Some might say my road rage is trying to help that person observe the lawful rules of the road. I'm out there for their safety. They're they're endangering other people and and I feel for them. All I want is their preservation and protection. No. (laughs) It's, It's the deep down. I want you to know how terrible of a driver you really are. I want you to know that the fact that you hit your brakes two seconds before I thought was appropriate makes you a stupid person. And I want you to wallow in your stupidity all day. I want you to go home and say, oh, I, I really am a stupid person. That's the goal, right? It's that somehow you feel worse about you. Our greatest hope for people that we're mad at is when they're dumb, is we just really hope they know how dumb that they are, right? Because that is destructive energy. I want you to know, I want to destroy your image of yourself. I want your day a little bit worse because that's what I feel like you did to me in traffic. But it doesn't just stay in the car, does it? I've realized this with my kids. I have the weirdest thing with my kids. I think I may have mentioned this before. Like, I'll have my, my eight-year-old who weighs, I don't know, like 55 pounds or something. He'll come and he'll accidentally knock into me or something will happen. He might drop a cup and it hits my foot. I'll act like I had a limb severed. I don't know why. Like, I'll have this reaction like, oh, oh man, what are you doing? Like, and it'll be my gut reaction. I'm like, that didn't hurt at all. Like, why am I acting like this was such a violation? There's nothing more important to me as a human being and as a dad than the happiness of my kids. But not when I'm mad. Not when I'm inconvenienced. I want to say, did you see how much this hurt dad? It's devastating. Do you see how much I have to clean up? If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Or how about this classic parenting one? You need to wipe that smile off your face, right? I hate how happy you are, so stop it, right? This is the energy. What are we really saying? Are you unhappy with yourself enough yet? I want you to realize the exact amount of inconvenience, and I want you to be miserable about it. I want to destroy even your joy. Anger wants to destroy. The second image is racha, okay? And it says, if you say this word racha, and this is where we can all feel good, because unless you're a weirdo, you don't walk around, you know, just saying to people, racha, you know? Like, if you do, I don't know, you got a lot of other things we could talk about, but... This racha is not normally a word you know. We only know this word because it's mentioned this is a bad word, right? But what does is, what is racha mean? It's a word of diminishing dignity. It's calling someone empty, worthless, or shallow brains. That's this term racha. Racha is saying you are nothing. You deserve nothing. You matter less. I wish for you nothing. When I'm feeling racha towards someone, 
or something, I want them to understand how pitiful that they are. And when that word is used, it is the demonstration of I want you to see what a mess up you are, what, how bad that you are, how little that you are. My raka anger is that what says that. It's saying what you want is less important than what I want. I'm willing to destroy your desires, will, argument, ideas, and very dignity so that I get to feel what I think that I need. This is emotional Darwinism. Survival of the fittest. My needs matter more than yours. And, and some of this we can laugh at because this is, this is what it means to be human sometimes. Like, we live in a world that's it's just got things go left when we want them to go right. And, and we're dealing with frustration and disappointment, insecurity and sadness. And, and we don't have all of these great juju resources to just all of a sudden be like, man, it's all cool, right? Like, we're tired, we're stretched, we, we, we're, we're worried. And so when things happen, we understand we have this energy source that happens within us. So what do we do? What do we do with our anger? And I, I love, this sermon is so precious to me. A few things, and you have them in your notes, of in the kingdom of God, what is Jesus saying about how anger should work? What do we do with this? How do we respond to this which wells inside of us more often than we want it to? First thing, I think, in dealing with anger in the kingdom of God is simply recognizing the theology of anger, which is to recognize the damage that it causes. So important in this discussion of anger is asking the question, who am I speaking to? Who am I thinking this about? Who am I telling off in my head, and they aren't even there. Who am I wishing less for? Psalm 8 talks about this. It's such a dear passage that people, whether they're, uh, doesn't matter with what placement they are, what resources they've accumulated, what belief system they have, that people, human beings of all types, all creeds, all times, all places, are deeply precious to God, that they have been given a unique and beautiful placement in creation. Hebrews 1 speaks of this. Genesis, the whole design is that, that human beings have incredible worth. And, and we at times, in, in, with the Christian message, where we say that humans have a misbehaving heart, we can go beyond that and not careful and say things like, oh, I am worthless. No, that's bad theology and it's a shot at the king who said you are so worth it I will die for you human beings have incredible worth there is there is no book that establishes the incredible weight of glory that God puts on the human being like the account we have in scripture human beings matter much and they matter much to God anger is a direct shot at that value. While humans are sinful, they are never worthless. And when we speak and act 
and even think because it results in how our atmosphere of our person is, we are shooting against that which is so, prof- so holy to God. Anger is the message that reinforces the voices we all have. Pastor Mark talks about the voices a lot. The voices that we have as human beings, the the self-rejecting voices, the voices that we have about ourselves that say, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're so different than everyone else. You'll never get your stuff together. Uh, People like you are are really okay, but nothing special. The, The voices that say, I'm too ugly, too afraid, too stupid, too bad with people, too unsuccessful, not good enough at this, that, or the other. These voices, they live inside of us. Anger, when we are angry with someone else, we are reinforcing those voices. When we are reinforcing someone else's insecurity, and the worst part is we like it. We enjoy it. We want people to sit there and feel these voices. Why? Because that will destroy them a little bit. Anger is such a big deal to God because it really wounds people who are such a big deal to God. Harming the design dignity of who God created is so precious to him. He says that, that's murder. That deserves incredible weight we see in this passage. The profane part of anger is that it recklessly stomps on that which God holds so precious. Secondly, to recognize the cause of anger. Where is the anger coming from? Yes, recognizing that, that, that it has great damage and the theology of, of anger is it, is it is a great shot against God because it is treating profane what he determined as precious, but taking a step back, what, what usually causes this? Anger is a secondary emotion, my buddy often says. It's not what you feel first. Now we can get there in microseconds because we're talented like that, but why, knowing the question of why we are angry And um, someone, usually why we're angry is someone has determined our feelings, our rights, our will is not that important. When someone steps on my dignity or triggers my insecurity or of my tribe, then it feels okay to trigger, to jump back. That is when we start lashing out. And, And this, I think, is really important. Every time... You or and I are worked up to have a rakha response, to have a murderous response. It's because ourselves or something that we love is being threatened. We don't care otherwise. It's got to be something close that I hold dear that feels this type of threat. I think this is the second question we need to ask in the cause of anger. Okay, what's right now? How do I or my expectations feel threatened in this moment? And you're like, man, you are way over-sophisticating what happens in a blink of an eye. I don't think I am. I think even if we go back to the simple cutting off of traffic, there is a sense of, how dare you? Do you know this was my right away? There is something that that cutting off demeaned about me 
And I really think that, or I expected to get home in five minutes and now I'm getting home in six. How dare you? There is a sense of what we have, we hold so tight that the very threat of it produces this desire to restore or destroy. Tim Keller says that anger, I love this, is ultimately a form of love. But oftentimes, much of what we love is my time, my money, my rights, my view of what things should be, my rest. But recognizing what exactly is the cause of this is so important to rooting out and to dealing with it. Third, recognize the economy of anger. You're you're seeing like the way we're going about this is, is recognize, 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 because I think inventory of anger, what is really going on is the first steps, and then we'll move beyond that. But third, again, recognize, recognize the, ang- the, the economy of anger. Anger begets anger. An angry person builds anger in other people. This is Proverbs 22 speaks of this. Proverbs speaks on anger all the time. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Matthew, or Proverbs chapter 15, 18 says this, hot-tempered man stirs up strife. A hot-tempered man, his anger builds strife. Anger has anger babies. When there is anger, it will produce more anger. Okay, here's a phrase for you. Crabby makes grabby. Here's what I mean by that. Crabby makes grabby. When you are angry, it creates a world that everyone is trying to grab for themselves. In a home that's always un- talking about how unfair your boss is when he treats you how, and how you want to, him to get his. In a workplace that thrives on drama, temper, and gossip. In a, in a political environment where we're, there's this sense of what's wrong with every other people when that exists in a home or workplace or environment. When, when uh, you have a kid on a sports team and you're complaining how much your daughter or son should get more playing time and that coach is so incompetent. When we're always disser- asserting or defending our right to the last piece of pizza to control the remote, whose argument is the most right? When we're always fending for ourselves what happens? Resources run out. So every, it creates an environment of I got to grab first. I have to produce my argument first. I have to get my playing time first. That type of culture that exists in homes, it exists in churches and workplaces. It's an environment when I am angry and need to get mine, it will produce that and other people. The kingdom of God, such a core principle is that there's enough to go around. And when we feel violated, we have the very chance to build a different way of life. It's what the Beatitudes speak to over and over and over. The kingdom way. Well, just real quick. We talk about worldliness and we often associate it with substances and sex. And I understand there's some biblical precedent for talking about worldliness that way. But worldliness at its core, when John and other people are talking about what it means to be worldly, 
It's this inner life of I need to get mine. Look out for mine. I need to win. I need to. The, the world of pride and anger and ego are the very root system of worldliness. And often we'll say, whoa, look at the fruit. That was a really naughty thing someone did. Well, worldliness happens in the heart. Worldliness happens when it says, deep down, I got to make sure I get mine and I don't care if anyone else gets theirs. That's worldliness. The kingdom of God, Jesus comes to establish and say, does not need to operate that way. It must be a place of dignity, listening, generosity, a place of overflow, a place where there's enough to go around, a place where there's forgiveness that flows freely in and out of relationships. We can live differently because he's given enough love and care for each and for all. To live this way is the upside down life. That's what he came to bring. The up there, down here, a serve each other type of existence. A limitless resources of love where we treat each other not as competitors, but as people who need and deserve blessing. Okay, these are the recognized areas. Now quickly, three points of living that out. First thing I would say about that, so number four, uh, be kind to yourself. I know that sounds counterintuitive to what we're saying. This is what I mean. Those, I have seen this over and over and over in pastoral ministry. Those that are most judgmental have the most angry and dissatisfied view of themselves. Often takes time to unwind that because judgmental people just seem mean. But when you really get to know and sit with the things that even call, that things that are, where are bitterness and frustration and people who just are lashing out and experiencing a lot of anger, so often there is such a tight unkind view of self in the deep parts of them. By far, I am least compassionate and most angry when I am most depleted and dealing with a lot of self-rejection. I am way crueler of a person when I am being when I am experiencing all of my own self-rejection. It's said, when you are a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And we know it's tough to live with hammers, right? They want everybody to no get knocked down and see this. And there's, a, there's a, this problem with that. But like there's always a problem with somebody and something. But you know who else has a hard time living with a hammer? A hammer. That's painful. Why? Because you're destroying a lot of things inside yourself as well. And I don't mean spoil yourself. But if you're in Christ Jesus, there's a compassion towards yourself. It says that when following the teachings of Jesus is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, heart, soul, mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving yourself in Christ is a calling of utmost importance. I love this. The University of Bergen, they, they did an article and their article was how to control anger. 
And the result of their article, they said this, eat a banana and get enough sleep. I think when we're mindful and compassionate of our own true need of resources, that's the first step in being able to be a compassionate person to others. Fifth, reconcile with those who are angry with you. Verse 23 in our passage says, if you're offering gift at your altar, remember the brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. Before you give gifts of value to the church or to other people, make sure we are living the value of people in our relationships. Financial gifts are important. Worshiping is important but they're not fundamentally more important than how we treat each other. This is, and the interesting part of the passage is not just dealing with anger or hatred that we might feel towards someone else. It's anger or hatred that someone else might feel towards us. Which asks the question, what is my responsibility? Because in this world there are people who don't always like us or who are upset. So what is my responsibility to someone who is upset with me? A couple of qualifications that I think are important with Jesus' words here is one, I, I don't think we're responsible for what others hold against us when it's not owing to real sin or blunder on our part. There are times when people will, will have incredible judgment towards you as a person. And that doesn't mean you're responsible to fix all of those judgments. We are, it says in Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. There are times when peace is not only dependent on you. We are responsible to actively, continually, openly pursue reconciliation But we also live with the pain if it does not succeed. In other words, we're not responsible to make reconciliation happen. As far as we can, we reach out. But there are times when there's levels of anger and bitterness and judgment towards us that we can't fix. But I think we often can hide behind that too, right? And let bad relationships linger because we think, oh, we've done all that we can. And I think that's where wisdom And prayer and counsel is important to decipher. Lastly, deal with this quickly. The consequences of anger in our passage don't age well. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're along the way or they may hand you to a judge, judge to the officer, maybe thrown into prison, won't get out till you've paid the last penny. Obviously, it's a specific analogy he's using of some debt and recompense kind of thing here. But he's talking in this anger passage. Anger... When anger has hit a relationship, it doesn't usually age well. And so we want to deal quickly. Uh, Gold Rush, man, I love that show. Um, It's a Discovery Channel show, and they're usually up in the Klondike or somewhere like freezing cold, and they've got a season with which they can deal with the ground, right? Because otherwise the ground freezes and doesn't work well to get gold out of. So they have, they're trying to beat the frost. They're trying to beat the cold because there's a time where the soil becomes less able to be mined. And I think in relationships, when anger has hit a relationship, it doesn't age well. Bitterness usually makes the situation worse, not better, and that's often what happens. Bitterness, the drinking of poison and waiting for someone else 
to die is, is something that grows with time. And so as soon as we can deal with those relationships that have been broken by anger, we are called to. In conclusion, Christ has set us free from destructive anger. This is one of those passages that can feel real idealistic, right? Like, okay, I already knew anger was bad and now I know it's bad and that's cool. But the question is like, is Jesus for real? Like, this is one of the things in in James I love. It says, don't just listen, do what it says. That's the words going through my head this week of just, what if I really didn't just see my anger as, yeah, I already knew it was kind of wrong, and I go in and out of it, and I try not to. But what if, what if when we go through these passages on anger and lust and, and words that we say, this is the king talking, the king who enables me and is the very strength within me to live free, that he really can free us from anger. He really can break generational patterns of anger. He really can make us humble, quiet, internally quiet people in the midst of angry cultures. He really can settle my heart that I am not living this way. May we take these words and the words he'll speak in this passage seriously that Jesus Christ died and rose again and is victorious even over the messy stuff like anger. Will you stand and receive the blessing as we conclude? I just want to say this over us as a church. May we be a village, a people who lives in this upside down way, a people who takes our will in our own way a little less seriously who is less afraid to give ground, a people who are loved and free and who are free to love, a people who do get stressed, who do feel upset at ourselves and do feel angry towards others at times, a people that fears fear and threat, but that chooses to employ our anger as a defense of others, not an offense of our own territories. May we know the love of Jesus. It is only in this love we can live unafraid, unthreatened, undefended. For anger lives in the kingdom of fear. May we live, grow, build, function and enjoy his kingdom of love. We are dismissed.